The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. EJ, this was uh, maybe the weirdest week of the NFL so far this year. The Lions are good. The Panthers and Jaguars might make the playoffs. The Chiefs barely, barely survived the Broncos. And for once, we finally have a little bit of a break from Tua versus Herbert. I have been waiting for months to say that. We have a lot to go over today. Jay, roll the intro. First things first, before we get started today, everybody, welcome to the show, Bootleg Football Podcast, Week 14 Recap. Uh, EJ, I have something in my hand that I've been working on for four months. Actually, more than that, since like July. Uh, this is called a Cherry Bounce, and this is uh, this is something that even old Martha Washington back in the 1700s used to make, and it's basically like an infused bourbon with cherries and cinnamon and spices and everything like that. And you get your cherries during cherry season, you infuse them for half the year, and then you crack it open around the holidays. So I finally got mine going. Um, I did like four different recipes. This is by far the most alcoholic one. So we'll see how this goes. This is like literally all whiskey, by the way. So we'll we'll see how this goes. I'm shocked that you chose the hottest one as your favorite. Uh, I have nothing (laughs) near as fancy or as festive because that sounds like all of those things also sounds like a hell of a lot of work. I just grabbed bottled malted beverage. This is Full Sail Amber uh, out of Oregon down in Hood River, and it's great stuff. I probably get two or three sixes of it every year just because that stuff has been largely the same for the last, oh, 15 years, and it's one of those can grab it, you know exactly what you're getting, <laughs> and you're like, let's go. And I don't have to infuse it for like six months. I just have to buy okay. six of them. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, speaking of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, by the way, uh, the new look Rams offense with Baker Mayfield, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of thinking we just, we keep him in there, like no more Walford, you know, and hell, even next year, assuming Matt Stafford, well, not assuming, the rumor is that Matt Stafford might be retiring after this year because of all the mounting injuries and you don't really want to mess with spine stuff. I'm kind of thinking we just keep rolling with Baker here because that was the best the Rams offense has looked in a while. Not that they were blowing anybody away, but like he was actually mounting long, efficient drives. Unfortunately, a fumble took one of them away. And then, I mean, what more can you say? 98 yards, no touchdowns, less than two minutes to go after the punt of the freaking century. And he's dropping dimes to get them down the field and win that thing. That was the first time in a while that I actually kind of felt decent about the Rams. You know, obviously they're not a great team. They've had a really terrible year, but I kind of feel like 
keep Baker around for 2023 if Stafford is retiring or hell, even if Stafford's backup, because are they really going to get better than him in the draft? I, I don't think they would. He and McVeigh obviously have a connection, and they talked about the fact on the broadcast that he and McVeigh ended up on a flight um, in the pre-draft process and sat next to each other and talked ball for two or three hours. And that's, that's random stuff that occurs in the football world, but it absolutely does happen. And whatever connection they made at that point has carried over because the two of them had a lot of communication going on, as did the rest of the team. He talked about Brian Allen, the center, keeping him on the same page, letting him know. Because if you've been with a team for like three days, bottom line is you just don't know all that stuff yet. They had a little emergency walkthrough to go through the two-minute thing. I said in our pre-show for the Thursday night live stream, he can't possibly know the two minute. He's been there like 48 hours. Well, he's like, I'm sure glad we went through some of that because I did half and Brian did the other half and we just made it work. It was frenetic. It was chaotic. It all worked. There was a lot of energy, but that connection between look, a professional football quarterback who's been around and can execute. And that's literally all it really takes in the NFL. Mm -hmm. If you can do the thing, your teammates want to play with you. If you can't do the thing, they don't. It doesn't matter who you are, what position. It matters a lot at quarterback. But the connection, the energy, like McVay has looked downtrodden for him. <laughs> He's a highly energetic guy. He's looked downtrodden for him a lot of this season because it hasn't gone the Rams' way. He didn't look downtrodden at all. He looked like he was helming a 10-11 win team uh, on that Thursday night game. He was as fired up as I've seen him and that's saying something because he seems to live like purely on energy drinks not necessarily <laughs> all vibes all just vibes. chunky soups but yeah the vibe was immaculate and that's amazing for a guy that he has only worked with officially professionally for like 70 hours it shouldn't happen it did happen it's one of the great stories of the NFL this year and I'm really glad that we got to do that game live because we were vamping from about the second quarter on we talked about <laughs> movies because there was a lot of game going on to be honest and then a game broke out right at the very end and everybody went wait what might they could they did he oh my god and that's fun football i will say so i didn't uh because we didn't we didn't get the all 22 live obviously um while we were doing the stream it was more so just pure energy and reacting to it but going back and actually analyzing what the hell happened in those last couple drives i came away kind of pissed off at patrick graham who's the the dc of the raiders and I, a coach that i have a lot of respect for he's great dc in general uh at least he was coming up to this year and i think the point you made about he had only been there for two nights right he had only been in la for two days he was staying at the hotel where he got married because you know, it happened to be a place that he he knew. And, you know, he was even talking to Andrew Whitworth about shacking up with him after the game because he just needed a place to stay. Like, that's how the small amount of time that he had been in Los Angeles. And so we're, we're talking about a two-minute situation from the two-yard line for a quarterback who's just trying to figure it out. And we're calling cover one specifically cover one cross like that was the big ball to Skoranek was against cover one cross it's single high man coverage look to me if I'm in that situation I'm not going to give him something easy because guess what no matter what offense you're in if you're getting in that situation where you need a big chunk and we're seeing a man coverage look single high 
it's bombs away. There's not really a whole lot of like reading it and trying to figure out like what the route adjustments are against certain looks, like if we're getting rotations or anything like that, something where a miscommunication can happen or where he's kind of double guessing and not really sure like what, what he's supposed to be reading. You know, we're, we're not forcing him to actually think. It's literally just there's man coverage, make one throw to beat that man coverage. And I feel like they played a simple defense when they should have been playing something a lot more complicated that requires nuance to progress through. And if you play a simple defense, then a simple throw can beat it. So that, to me, was on Patrick Graham. If they played literally anything else, literally anything, like even if they they started throwing zero at him to test what Baker knew about all their zero checks, that I think would have been even more productive. Instead, they're calling the simplest coverage in the book. They had way too much faith in their DBs. I think that maybe, you know, all the success they had covering the Chargers receivers and man maybe inflated their their sense of what their DBs are capable of a little bit. And they just straight up got beat. Skoranek made a great play. Van Jefferson made a great play uh, for the touchdown. So at least for me, I kind of put it a little bit on Patrick Graham for just calling the simplest defense possible for a quarterback who who didn't even <laughs> know the playbook. Um and it's unfortunate. Like sometimes coaching really does make that big of a difference. Uh, looking at the prize pick slip that we were filling out during this game, we got close. We got close. <laughs> I missed Josh Jacobs by half a yard because speaking of Raiders coaching decisions, they decided to run over and over and over again against a top five, at least by efficiency, uh, run defense in the league. And in like 71% of neutral situations, meaning like non-garbage time, you know, first and 10 that kind of stuff, like neutral run pass situations, they were like 70% run, which is insane against that run defense. And they were able to bludge them in a little bit, and Jacobs did have a couple nice runs, but I think that trying to establish the run rather than letting Carr and Devontae Adams do their thing when the Raiders are like, I'm not even kidding, undefeated this year when Devontae Adams eats and they're leaning on their run game instead – that coaching decision um, in terms of what they were prioritizing on offense, I think also cost them uh, a lot of production and potentially a lot of points. We did hit on Bobby Wagner, like in the first quarter, it was over, over seven and a half on tackles. And he hit that like 10 minutes into the game. Uh, we hit the over on two, two at well, we would have hit the over on Mac Hollins if some of those end arounds were just catches instead, but Hey, say lovey. He still had a nice night, but yeah, overall, I, you know, to kind of link together the prize pick slip with, the the all 22 study after on both sides of the ball i felt the raiders coaching staff made um pretty egregious philosophical mistakes to put it mildly they weren't great and the immediate reaction a lot of times is different than the more nuanced later on reaction after all 22 after all that other stuff this one's kind of the same a lot of people are like what are you doing playing man right there And you go back and look at it, and you're like, nope, you're playing man, and you got beat. Okay, Mm -hmm. then, that's that. And like you said, sometimes coaching is the big difference, and it is that simple football and endlessly complex game. Sometimes it ain't. That ain't. I, on that live stream, said, hey, I'll put out five lines for Sunday, speaking of prize picks, that I like. So I did that on Saturday. I put out five lines, including the Justin Herbert free square that prize picks was giving away this week. How many did I get right out of five? I actually didn't double check. How many did you get? (laughs) Two? And one was a free square. 
So it was a weird I, week, man. It was weird. I said Herbert over, which was the free square. I said Amonara St. Brown over 80 and a half. I said yeah. Garrett Wilson over 61 and a half. That hit. Tony Pollard over 71 and a half rushing. Nah, it was Zeke week, so he got drilled there. And Christian Kirk over 63 and a half because Christian Kirk's been killing it for the last month. Nope. It was Evan Ingram day. And Marvin Jones day. Well, almost Marvin Jones day, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, tell me at your own risk. Uh, you know, it, they all looked good on paper, as they usually do, but mm, was not a good week between Thursday night and EJ's weekend prize pick slip. Well, we're coming back for a good one this Thursday. We got Niners Seahawks, which might be the best and also most impactful Thursday game of the season. This one could very well be for the NFC West crown and go a long way towards determining playoff seating. And based on what we think of the 49ers, who we will be talking about in the next segment, um, where the 49ers end up seated could actually make a difference on who goes to and wins the Super Bowl because nobody wants to play them. So Thursday night, make sure to come here half hour before kickoff. We're going to be filling out more prize pick slips. I've already been doing research this entire day in terms of schematic and personnel tendencies to try to you know figure out exactly how we want to play this whole Brock Purdy situation. So we'll have more slips for you there. Hopefully we have better luck this week, and uh, we'll see you there. But uh, with that being said, EJ, we, we got to get to talking about this 49ers game. So why don't we go to three up? All right, uh, three up number one, as I mentioned, Brock Purdy making his first start doing things that are extraordinarily rare from a year-to-year basis in the NFL. We're talking about in the first half, putting up 28 points, 180-plus yards, two touchdowns, actually three total touchdowns because he also had a rushing touchdown, you know, 77% completion percentage. They won the game in 30 minutes, and so he didn't really have to do anything in the second half at all. Like This was... This was Mike Tyson fighting a fifth grader, if we're being honest. But <laughs> just the fact that Purdy came in in his first ever start with the goat on the other sideline and he put on that kind of show. We mentioned it last week. We kind of hinted like, oh, man, we, we might like Purdy even more than we like Jimmy in this offense. I'm going to double down on that this week. The offense's ceiling is much higher with Brock Purdy than Jimmy G. We just didn't know it until now. Like, we loved what he did against Miami, but I was obsessed with what he did against Tampa. Like, some of those plays, just the poise and the confidence. There was a rollout. I think it was, like, early in the second quarter. Um, they called a they called a naked boot in the end. It might have been Joe Trianchenka kind of changed direction. It was. Came after him. It was. Him. Oh, my God. Okay, so the move that he put on him where he's like, maybe I can outrun him. Oh, shit, no, I can't outrun him. So he slammed on the brakes, pulled the ball back, protected it, and then he he ran towards the line of scrimmage because he's like, i got to create space. But his eyes immediately went back to his read. He's like, i got to hit the high-low right now. High's not there. Mid-level's there. Let me fling this thing on the run, open the hips, hit it for a, a huge chunk. That's something that Jimmy didn't do ever. He, Jimmy would have eaten that sack. And that extra dynamism and the aggression and the poise and the confidence, like Purdy hit as many balls. I think Solak tweeted this out. He hit two balls, 20 plus yards down the sideline, outside the numbers. That was as many as Jimmy Garoppolo has hit 
the entire year. And he hit them in like mm-hmm. the first quarter. Yep. So it's the the added dimension of aggressively working the boundary and being able to make plays out of structure when things break down and being just completely ice cold under pressure. Nothing phases this kid. And I think that the 49ers somehow on their third quarterback this year might be even better than they were in week one. It's insane, but I think that's where we're at right now. Have to agree on all points and the play you're talking about early on, I rewound as soon as he made the evasion. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> I think that's, it is. It's Joe Tron Shorinka. Ooh, easy for me to say. Player we really liked in the draft. And very, very athletic. Great RAS score. Ken, change direction is huge. Has really long arms. Just brings it all as a rusher. And to see Purdy basically toy with him without any help, mm-hmm. like this was a one-on-one straight at, oh shit moment. And Purdy just kind of danced out of it and made a play. Didn't roll up in a ball and say, oh my God. Didn't, you know, just say, I'm going to scramble for two or three or maybe even one and, and just sort of not take the loss. No, it was, I'm going to get away from this guy and I'm going to make a play. And part of Brock Purdy's game I would say some, not all, is not super pretty right now. The actual effect, the way he throws it or where he throws it or how he throws it, it's not super good looking, but it's wildly effective. If you just go back and look at the numbers and not necessarily the tape and the nuance, you'd go, wow, those numbers are really good. Then you go look at the nuance and you're like, you see how he did it. Plays like that that just require a lot of gumption Moxie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you just that that is a brave thing to do on a football field and he does seem unfazed by it in moments across from tom brady the greatest quarterback of all time crazy stat after the game brock purdy is the first player to beat tom brady in in a first career start ever yeah and he's tom's been doing this 22 22- 23 years tom has put a lot of rookies heads on his wall yeah all of them all of them to this point you could say what you want about declining for like all of them ever and brock purdy comes in with a very talented 49ers team but looks like he's been there much longer than he has Mm-hmm. It's a little bit about what Rich Eisen was saying about Joe Burrow, that it looked like Joe Burrow was the kid at the podium pretending to be the tough guy in his rookie year, and now he's the guy at the podium going, no, we went to the Super Bowl. I am the tough guy. Purdy's doing that in, like, his second game. First start, but second game. He's like, no, nah, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be doing all this wild, crazy shit. And he's getting it all done. And the team, we just talked about this a little bit with Baker, is freaking loving it. They McCaffrey, love him, yeah. CMC specifically in this game is running so freaking hard. We have not seen McCaffrey run like this, I would say probably since college. Mm-hmm. The high knees, the absolutely ripping through tackles. We've seen the speed and the elusiveness in the hands. He's a great receiver. We saw that yesterday with a touchdown catch. He is driving through contact. He is powering. He is wanting to break. He is, like, freed from his Panthers dumb (laughs) and back in the bay, 
and doing things in a way that we haven't seen him do in years. The linemen are picking up Brock Purdy going, oh, oh man, they know. It goes back to exactly what I said. If you do your job, your teammates want to play with you. This 49ers offense wants to play with Brock Purdy. Every single one of them. Ayuk, Debo, Kittle was early in the game picking him up and pumping him up. The offensive line, use check. Use checks being used as a passing fullback. And I put a tweet out late last night about that. I said, those red and gold unis, fullbacks catching passes, there's just something so right about that. Mm-hmm. Bill Walsh is smiling somewhere. This team is different with Brock Purdy at the helm. The whole team, same players, different team, aggression. We talked about attacking last week. Now we're seeing physical attacking, not just attacking areas of the field, attacking different concepts or different holes in the defense. We're seeing an entire offense go on the attack. And when you said nobody wants to play them, we've already talked a lot about the defense, and we will talk more about them. But this offense is everybody wants to play this offense with Jimmy. Nobody wants to play this offense with Brock Purdy. You were talking about, you know, the the confidence and and, you know, nothing phasing him and him acting like he's already the schoolyard bully. I'll tell you a story. When I was up there in August at camp, Grant, when I was at camp, <laughs> don't even matter that I was there for three days. Cause you know what? On day three, when I was there and they put him in for one series in red zone period with the starters, by the way, this whole narrative, like, Oh, he's playing against third string defense in in training camp doesn't count. Bullshit. I have eyes. He was throwing to Juwan Jennings against, I think it was either either Ward or Mose. I can't remember who, but like they were in red zone period. They gave him one series with the ones in red zone. And it was literally two plays because he saw a one-on-one with inside leverage with the number two, and he threw a fade to the back pile on to, to Juwan Jennings and scored on, on two plays. And so he did the whole, the, the fucking finger guns thing that he did this week did the exact same thing in practice as the number four quarterback that they just gave one series to, you know, Jimmy was off working on the side field right now, but Lance would get it. And then Sudfeld, and then they gave him one series and he scored in two plays against the starters and walking around like you fucking own the place. And so that was like, that was after I, I, or that was uh, right before I tweeted, like, I think this kid's going to be QB too. Cause just the confidence and the poise and, and knowing that even if he's not the most talented guy, like he walks around like he's the baddest dude on the planet. And there was a story that, um, like I, I had been aware, because um, when we were doing research for Shrine Bowl, I had been aware that he was recruited by Alabama and he turned them down. What I thought was that it was, oh, there was a, a depth chart issue. He didn't think he was going to start because Tua was going into his second year. And then I think Hertz was transferring out at the time. And then I think they still had Mac Jones there, if I recall correctly. So, you know, a depth chart was stacked. He wanted to go somewhere else. So he went to Iowa State. Uh, story came out this week that eh, a little bit more subtlety that situation. He met with Nick Saban on his visit. And Saban, during his meeting, said, like, you're not very accurate. So we're going to fix that. And so Purdy told his family. And he's like, oh, so he hasn't watched me. That's interesting because in in Purdy's senior year, he was a rising star in high school football, threw for uh, 57 touchdowns against nine picks, 4,400 yards, and 65% completion percentage in high school, which for like a 17-year-old is insane. And so he's like, oh, so Saban didn't watch me. 
I'm not coming here. So he went to Iowa State and said, and set 32 school records. So I, the, just the confidence and the balls it takes to be like, yeah, Saban doesn't Thanks. know what he's talking Thanks, about. Thanks, Nick. I'm going to pass on Ala-freaking-Bama and go to Iowa State, still make it to the league, beat Tom Brady, the big bad wolf in my first ever start. Like, I'm telling you, folks, nothing phases this kid. He believes in himself more than almost any other rookie I have ever seen in my life. So I think the 49ers are fine. I said it last week. I'm saying it again. They're fine. They might be even better than ever. We'll see what the news on Debo is because that's obviously a big factor here. Originally, we thought it was going to be terrible. Then all of a sudden, a few hours after the game, they said, oh, maybe it's a high ankle. Maybe it's maybe it's not as serious as we thought. We'll see. As of us recording this on Monday morning, we don't know. But goddamn, EJ. <laughs> I, I think I believe more in the 49ers now than I ever have, and that's saying a lot. You know what it reminds me of quarterback situation-wise? Hmm. Another situation from the NFC West. Gino? Nope. Which Jimmy one? Garoppolo is Matt Flynn. Oh. I mean, better than Matt Flynn, but I, I see the same sort of like... He plays that role yeah. in this story. And there's a young guy who was not highly recruited, and in that case, third-round pick, Purdy a little bit farther down, comes in without pedigree and, and not a lot of noise. We saw him in person for four straight days of practice in the game, and he had very few highlights. It was just a bad week for him. His college highlights spoke for themselves, but we didn't see very many of those as he moved to the next stage. So we knew he had that in him, but we're like, eh, kind of got to see it comes in again no heraldry no nobody singing his praises he's fourth on the depth chart getting one series and walking around like he's gonna do it and you look at him and go i don't know i think he's gonna be higher up in the depth chart than people think and when he gets his chance to play russell wilson it was week one uh brock purdy it's obviously much farther into the year but the results in terms of how the team around him reacts and the results they get on the field and potentially the role they're going to go on, lockstep the same thing. Today's episode is brought to you by Trade Coffee. I drink a metric shit ton of coffee every single week, as you guys know by now, usually around six to eight cups a day, so it's definitely my biggest vice by far. And as a result, I get bored of certain roasts very quickly because I drink it so damn much. In comes Trade, which is a coffee subscription service that sends both me and EJ freshly roasted coffee from small independent roasters all over the country, and they send it to us on our schedule so that we never run out. There are hundreds upon hundreds of coffees to choose from on Trade, and we actually worked with Trade to create a whole bootleg collection of coffees with about 50 different options, all from, again, independent roasters. And even if you don't like what you're looking for within our collection, there's still another 400 options for you on the site just so that you can find what you're looking for. Trade Coffee is also a perfect gift for loved ones this holiday season. They make it easy with their digital gifting options for last-minute shoppers or their coffee and equipment bundles for something under the tree as well. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, right now Trade Coffee is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription and access to limited holiday specials, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com bootleg. Again, that's drinktrade.com slash bootleg for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, I want to hit on uh, three up number two, which is a 
somewhat similar story going on right now. Obviously, much different record and much harder fight to get into the playoffs than the Niners are going to have. But the the Lions and the vibes around the Lions, the confidence and everything coming out of that building right now. They've won five out of their last six, which going back to October, if you told me that they were going to go on that kind of run, I would have been like, I mean, I believe it, but not really. I was like, is it technically possible? Sure. Do I expect it to happen? No, it happened, you know, and for a long time we were saying, Oh, the offense is so good. If the defense could just not be historically terrible, they'll start winning these games after the Miami game, which I think was six games ago, seven games ago. Um, you know, they fired their DB coach. All of a sudden, the defense was no longer historically terrible. They regret, not regressed, progressed <laughs> to average. And all of a sudden now, they're they're actually above average. They're playing their asses off. But the offense is still good. And so now, we're kind of looking at the Lions like, are they the best team in the NFC North? With the results yesterday, it's kind of hard to argue against it. It's kind of a wonky situation where they didn't really put it together till the second half of the year. So there's such a cushion built up with the Vikings. The Vikings are still probably going to win it. But if we're looking at a rematch in the playoffs between these two teams, I would probably take Detroit again because the Vikings have problems all over the place. Like they built the entire plane out of Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson this year. They are the team. Everything else is not really working, especially the defense. I mean, allowing like four. 400 straight yards and five straight games, whatever the, the stat is. It's four. 400 yards and five straight games. Like, that is shameful. Like, that might even be worse than what the Lions were earlier this year. Except the Lions, as of right now, have a more functional offense, at least a more diverse offense, than what the Vikings have. So, like, I, I get it. The Vikings are still probably going to win the division, but if I had to take a, a wild stab at who's going further in January, if the Lions can make it, and if they uh, if they run the table, I think they will, I would probably take Detroit because they're a more balanced team. I think that in, in terms of, like, locker room culture, everybody is completely bought in on Dan Campbell. Everybody loves him to death. And I would say even in terms of assistance, like the coordinators are really in their bag right now. Ben Johnson, I think he's going to get every single head coaching interview he could want. He has been phenomenal for them. I think that uh, the, the Penny Sewell to ice the game on third and seven, you know, putting him in motion and then kind of running a flat route off motion to a freaking 340 pound offensive tackle was a one of the ballsiest, but also one of the most creative calls I've seen the entire year. He, he did a great job of kind of taking advantage of Ed Donatel's tendencies in terms of how they like to call zone coverage. He was doing stuff like, um, you know, putting them out in 21 personnel so to like force the Vikings to match in base. And then he would spread everybody out, put a tight end really wide and a fullback really wide and then two receivers in the slots and basically say like, if you're going to call zone, that means we're getting Amon Ross St. Brown excuse me, we're, we're going to get him in space against Darius Smith. So if you want to stay in zone, go ahead. And they stayed in zone and they picked it apart. It's just those kind of calls and those kind of ways to generate easy matchups that I think have really separated him from a lot of other uh, head coaching candidates. He's going to get any interview he wants. Everything is pointing up for this Lions team. Everything. And I'll be damned. Um, I didn't think I was going to say it, but putting them in January... They could do serious, serious damage compared to where they were at, you know, two months ago. 
Now that they've righted the ship on defense, and we talked about this last week in the podcast a lot, and I'm going to go back two weeks further. I said the Vikings were starting to feel like paper tigers, that even if they got to the playoffs, they were going to be an early exit team because they do have problems at all levels. And if Kirk isn't on a heater, it's over for them. There's there's nothing else. They can't pivot. This is like all the things we've said about the Bills and Josh Allen's elbow and how they've changed their game, and they do. They have pivoted. The Vikings, I don't feel right now, can pivot. It's either Kirk is crazy hot and Justin Jefferson goes off for like 180 yards and two touchdowns, or they're not going to beat somebody who's fundamentally sound. Jefferson set the franchise record in receiving this week, and it didn't fucking matter. That's where they're at. (laughs) I Unfortunately, I don't typically engage other fans about their teams in sports bars. It's a rule of mine. I just, there's nothing to be gained there. I don't really enjoy the banter that much. It's cool when people want to talk about their teams non-emotionally. That's not what you get in a sports bar. I was there with a Vikings fan who I'm friendly with. Um, I wasn't there with him, but he was at the next table over. We were chatting. And we started talking about the Vikings, and I broke my rule. And I started talking to him about the Vikings. And I said, so, do you think they blow it all up after this year? And he looked at me like I had horns growing out of my head (laughs) and said, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, look at the overall. And I was like, ah, you've stepped in it now, EJ. This is (laughs) You're trying to have a discussion up here, and you're going to get Vikings, right? And that's what I got was... You mean the 10-win team? You mean, and I quote, the second-best team in the NFL? And I was like, no. Yeah. Legit for sure. Oh, come on. And I was like, oh, this took a turn. I get fandom. Come on, dude. (laughs) This is why I don't do this in bars. Uh, And I backed off. I was like, okay, we're not dealing with a rational human being here. That's okay. Sports bring out the irrational. And I just had to say one more thing, which was dumb. And I didn't get in a fight. Long story short. (laughs) I said, but are they really? He did not like that at all. And then the Lions kicked their ass on TV, and, and we had the end of that. Pivoting to the Lions, who which is who we're talking about here. This team, we said last week on this show that Ben Johnson might get some offseason coaching interviews. That's over. Ben yeah. Johnson is getting coaching interviews, and probably a bunch of them, because what he's done to reform this offense that's been moribund for years like this is not a oh it was bad for a year we lost somebody and it changed yeah they had good years in sort of prime Stafford territory but since then they have largely struggled on offense for years turning that kind of thing around is difficult and Ben Johnson has done it I'm going to run through the point totals for the weeks really quick 35 against the Eagles we should have known but it was week one A lot of weird things happen in week one. Week two, 36 against the Commanders. Okay, 35 and 36 in the first two weeks. Wow, they can score. 24 against the Vikings the first time. 45 against the Seahawks and lost that game. (laughs) 45 points and they lost. Then comes the little hiccup where defensive coordinators start to sort of get the book on Ben. He maybe doesn't pivot a whole lot. 
And they put up zero against the Pats, which at this point is incredibly impressive by the Patriots' defense, and six against the Cowboys. And you start to go, oh, okay, okay, it's the Lions. They, they, they had this great first month, they're on fire, and now they've dropped off. Well, they make adjustments, which is typically something the Lions have struggled with on offense in the past. No, they come roaring back, 27 against the Dolphins in the game you talked about. 15 against the Packers, but that was enough to win. So they scored 45 against the Hawks and lost 15 against the Packers and won. The NFL is a funny place. 31 against the Bears, 31 against the Giants, 25 against the Bills, 40 against the Jags, and 34 against the Vikes in the second meeting. Always a real telling thing when you play a divisional opponent for the second time in the year with basically sort of the same team and end up putting more points on them the second time than you did the first. This is well enough to win in fact a bunch of these games that they've lost they scored enough points to win but that defense was faltering now that that defense is let's just say stabilizing a little bit this is a much stronger team in my opinion for a postseason run than the vikings who will win the division going away no doubt and all credit to the to the fan in the bar he's correct they do have a lot of wins but in terms of power and who you think they could beat in the nfc if the playoffs started today, would you take them versus the Niners? Not a chance. The Eagles, forget about it. Would you take it them versus... It wouldn't be embarrassing, though. No, I'm I... talking about the Vikings. Oh, the Vikings? God, no. No, no, no. Yeah, like God Lions, knows. I give yeah. a way better shot against you know, right. Minnesota. Right, but the, that's exactly the switch I'm talking about. They're not going to win the division. If they get in, they're going to sneak in, but their chance to advance is greater than the sort of you know, going away, could have been going away division winner. Vikings had a chance to wrap it up with a win yesterday. They weren't able to do that. They're probably still going to wrap it up. I would say likely going to do that, but I'm with you. I would put money on the Lions before I did on the Vikings in this year's playoffs unless something really drastic happens because the Lions are really solid. Brad Holmes has drafted really well twice in a row now. If he does it again, look out. And quick shout to Jamison Williams. First game on the field in the NFL. First game this season for the Lions. This offense has done all of that without him. First half, 40-plus yard touchdown. This is my shocked face. He was well, my it doesn't help one. that the Vikings blew the coverage 100%. again because they do that every single week. Like, this has got to be the worst communicating secondary I've ever seen. That's not just a, oh, a Harrison Smith was out thing. You watch any Vikings game, this secondary is horrific at communication. They blow coverages constantly, and I don't understand why. They don't do anything different than what all the SEC schools do. Like, quarter, quarter, half, obviously there's a lot of rules and checks and everything like that, but, like, if the fucking teenagers at Bama can do it, why can't the pros do it? Why are they constantly letting people behind them, especially guys like Jameis Williams that run 4-2-7 or whatever it is? Like, that's why they're losing. <laughs> that's why they're slipping is because the defense is horrible and the offense is literally run through two players. One uh, adjacent note I want to give to you about the you know, little hiccup in the middle of the season. I think that was around the time that Amon Ross St. Brown was banged up and, you know, Swift was playing her. Every, everybody was kind of hurt yep. for the Lions for like a weird four-week period in the middle. And then they started to get healthy again. I have to imagine that coincides with it a little bit. Uh, and now that they're healthy, oof. 
Well, good luck. healthy, good luck. and you've added your number one overall pick in Jameson Williams, who you moved up to get because you mm-hmm. wanted just that element. The funny thing was we've talked about this with alpha wide receivers all offseason and how important they are to teams. And in the Lions case, it puts everybody else in the right slot. Mm-hmm. Jameson Williams is your alpha. Now you've got DJ Chark as a very dangerous number two and an Amon, Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown as either two or you're just all everything slot outside, get him a million catches. So it moves sort of what was one and two down to two and three. And I don't care how you order those. It's now you have a three-headed monster and you've been putting up all those points before. Whew. And your running backs are nasty, and your defense is playing better, and the vibes are immaculate. And the vibes are immaculate. I'm I'm so been a long time, and I'm I'm happy. People might think that I'm unhappy about that as a Bears fan. I'm happy for Detroit fans. Detroit fans are some of the longest suffering fans in the NFL. They have, I mean, they go back to talking about glory days, and it's like Wayne Fonts and (laughs) you know Barry. And, yeah. you know, there were, yes, there were the Stafford Megatron years, but it just never, it just never got there. They they have waited a long time to have a really solid team in that building. And they're this close to having that for a while. This is a sustainable thing. This is not they have a very solid young offensive line. We talked about that last year. This is a foundationally built team that took the right steps. It could be good for a while. And, that I couldn't be happier for Detroit fans. If we get Lions versus Jaguars Super Bowl, I won't know what to do with <laughs> myself. Like how how do I root against either of them? Like what uh, what am I supposed to do there? Like enjoy that's my nightmare. I would enjoy, enjoy it. I truly yeah. would cuz no matter what some fan base is getting something they've been waiting for forever. Uh speaking of fan bases that have been waiting for uh forever for you know not misery, the Panthers Going on a little bit of a roll here. Um, Steve Wilkes has really got this team playing hard. Obviously, there's still major holes. The pass game, rather lack of pass game, <laughs> is still an issue. Like they, if if they get into a situation where they have to do a shootout, they just won't even participate. They will get blown out. If they turn the ball over and give up, you know, extra possessions to the other team, they won't be able to hold up. They won't be able to recover from that. But when they get the run game rolling golly they could be they could beat a lot of really good teams with how well they run the ball they play physical hard-nosed football on both sides of the line of scrimmage when they can dominate the line of scrimmage which they have a lot of talent down there um they're an extremely hard team to uproot and seattle found that out the hard way i mean it was just chunk after chunk bruising run after bruising run both with hubbard and with foreman Um, I mean, God, they ran counter on third and 10 and converted. That's how dominant they were on the ground. You know, obviously they got the benefit of of a couple Geno picks to kind of, you know, balance things out for them because Geno did have some really nice balls himself through three touchdowns too. But, you know, the the picks helped, but it's just that that consistent drumbeat of running and running and running and, you know, having Sam Darnold make just enough throws when they need to off play action to keep things moving – that was their formula. And I think that they have a legitimate shot now of winning the division, much to the despair of that fine gentleman who put down $80,000 for them to miss the playoffs. Well, Carolina won't go away. And right now, arguably, they're playing better 
than any other team in the division. And I would not be shocked if they came back and win this thing somehow, even as a below 500 team, would not be shocked if they came back and won this thing. And depending on their matchup in the playoffs, if they do win it, if they if the five seed is a team that can't stop the run, or at least you know doesn't wear their big boy pants that day, they could kind of sneak into the divisional round because they have a formula that tends to work in January, which is just beating people up. So the bully ball thing is working for them. I'm really happy for Steve Wilkes to kind of get this shot, a legitimate shot to show what he can do as an interim because we all know that what happened in Arizona was not fair, to say the least. Um, I'm really happy that he got this shot. And, you know, good on the players for for playing their asses off for him because it's it's been a fun year in Carolina. Weirdly enough, it has been a fun year in Carolina after Matt Rule got fired, of course. <laughs> I was gonna say it turned into a fun year after after fun came back into the building and and fun is about doing your job and playing hard and winning and they weren't able to for whatever reason do that under rule and his staff this one was on the watch list for a reason this was our oddly fascinated game from last week's watch list carolina marched into a very hostile stadium beat one of the stronger teams in the nfc all year long Gino roller coastered through this one. I'll talk about the Seahawks first. Started off with a what the hell pick, like literally his first throw or second throw. And then he settled, but he just roller coastered. Started off with that pick. And then the fade to Tyler Lockett in the background, which shout out to Tyler Lockett. That's going in his postseason career highlights. Whenever he hangs him up, <laughs> that that catch for the touchdown is gonna be in every single one of them because it's another one of his. Oh my god, how did he do that? Then he got pressured again by Frankie Louvu. Shout out to Frankie Louvu. Had another bad <laughs> pick. Then came back with a rocket TD to Metcalf. That ball was an absolute rip, just a rope. So he just, he had this day, and it wasn't enough to overcome the bully ball running game. Um, but Carolina's offense has become this dump and run passing game, and that's what they're doing. And Darnold looks okay running it because he gets a lot of things in there that help him out he gets his rolls his half field reads his short quick throws and Darnold can do that like you said if it becomes a deep passing game contest or they're trying to catch up from being boat raised that's not Darnold's cup of tea and he's going to look bad he even took some bad sacks yesterday but this team in terms of how they're supplementing the run game with this dump and run passing game is they're built for it like this is the ideal space for LaVisca Chenault that's what we said he'd be good at get him the ball and watch him run people over okay Raheem Raheem Blackshear who you know starred in Buffalo in the preseason ends up in Carolina he is a great little dump off and screen runner he ended up going up the sideline for like 17 on this tiny little pass off the right side he just scooted um, Chuba Hubbard looks really good in that, you know, basically not all the way out to the outside, just throw it to him. He basically replaces the slot receiver and then has yeah. three guys in front of him it's, and can pick it's running plays with extra steps is what it yeah, is. <laughs> it's, you know, this is, this is big 12 passing game. Like, okay, let's do it. And it's working for them combined with that offensive line that comes off the ball, hammers people, form and runs hard. Like they run you over and then they basically put you in space and try and run you over again. That's it. That's what they do. And it's working for them. Defense, we've talked about them a lot. Super athletically talented. Jeremy Chin had a pass breakup in this one that made me go back because I was like, oh, that was Horn. No. Oh, did you that see that horn chin. interception, by the way? Mm-hmm. Oh, my 
God. Mm-hmm. The range and the hips and the foot. Okay, well, so for people that, that are, are, I'll throw up the clip. Sorry to interrupt, but this, I had, no. oh my God. <laughs> Your brain just hit one of those wired loops. For him to cover uh, the little outbreak and then like plant his foot, open up his hips and just go. Just go. Get under the seven and pick that thing off. That was one of the best DB plays I've seen the entire year. It was nuts. Like, do you? I don't think people understand how few corners exist on this earth that can make that play. I almost didn't even fault Gino for it because, like, the read was there. He was in the flat. He wasn't. He wasn't even close. And just for him to range back there and get that thing. Oh my God! I almost fell out of my damn chair when I saw that. Anyway, wow. sorry. Continue. No, Keep going. <laughs> they're full of them. And one of the only other corners in the league that could do that kind of thing is on the other side. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Tariq Woolen's burst is, I put out a tweet in the first quarter, he had a very similar play where he was playing the short. He was playing flat, and he turned around and got a PBU. And it was just because he was like, oh, I can run to that. Like, he had his guy, and he's like, I got my guy. Oh, it's going over there. I'll just turn and run to that. Um, but we saw Horn. We saw C.J. Henderson, the mush maligned C.J. Henderson, make plays in this game. Obviously, Jeremy Chin's back there. They got Brian Burns rushing the passer. This defense is full of fast dudes. Shaq Thompson had a sack in his homecoming coming back to Seattle. Uh, He was a Husky in college. So all these guys were super athletically talented, and the defense played pretty well, but the offense couldn't get out of its own way. Now they've sort of scaled it back and said, what can we do with what we have? Um, obviously Baker's out of the building and doing miracle work in, in LA. This works for them. They're digging it. They're going to roll. And those are tough teams to play. If they catch some weather in the first round of the play, if they make the playoffs and they catch some weather and it's cold and windy or a little bit sloppy, wherever they end up playing, this is a team that can make some people hurt in those conditions and it would be fascinating to see it'd be great for the carolina fans because is this a perfect team no is this a pretty flawed team yeah can they beat people in a very certain way yep they sure can it's one of those where it's like if they play dallas eh, i'll probably favor dallas because dallas can actually stop the run you know if we're looking at if the giants somehow put together a little streak at the end of the year and the giants sneak in as like a five or something like that and that they're hosting the Giants, who were like 31st in the league and run defense DVOA. Mm. <laughs> All right, then, then we're breaking out the nice cutlery because that's going to be a meal for the Panthers. But it just depends on who the matchup is. Something to monitor. Again, as of right now, Tampa's still ahead. Barely. Uh, they're, they're hanging on by a thread. But in, in terms of the direction that each team is moving, would not be a surprise to see the Panthers, you know, sneak in there. But uh, all right. Good vibes are done, EJ. It's time to talk about stuff that just makes us sick over in Two Down. All right, beginning Two Down here, unfortunately, with show favorite, the New York Giants. We mentioned them in the last segment, you know, them kind of taking a step back recently. And boy, it has been a step back. Um, This team started out extraordinarily hot. I still believe in Brian Dable as a coach. He did what he could for as long as he could with the current state of the roster. And unfortunately, things just kind of caught up with the Giants. You know, they are not nearly uh, as deep 
as I don't know any other team in the league period like they had to do a lot of roster trimming in terms of like financial decisions to get the roster just to like under the limit where they needed it to be Uh, if you watched our offseason preview series we went over every transaction they made to kind of get back under uh get back under the cap there's a lot of hard decisions and a lot of thinning of of an already relatively thin roster so he did what he could for as long as he could but i think the talent gap has caught up with them and when you put them on the field against maybe the most talented team in the league in the eagles it, it really is apparent how much longer they have to go i think they have the right coach i think they have the right gm this to me was just a wake-up call that they're not as far along as maybe we thought in October, um, and they still have significant work to do. I do believe in, that the, in the people at the top doing that work, but they are not close. Um, and then on the other side, I mean, even more talented teams at some point, it's like, what do you do against Jalen Hurts? Because he was absolutely in his bag, and you know the receivers are incredible. The run game, like Miles Sanders had maybe his best game as a pro, even not like just statistically, but I'm talking like on tape the patience the burst the I mean he was hitting runs front side that like you're not even really supposed to be able to hit front side but he just had the patience to kind of like wait for it to develop wait for it to develop and then okay it's there go you know slow too fast through is the phrase that running backs coaches use he was phenomenal on tape like absolutely jaw-droppingly phenomenal on tape Um, they put a 253 yards rushing largely because of miles sanders and then when you throw in jalen hurts just dropping dimes on top of that it's tough to beat that even when you're a very talented team let alone when you're the giants (laughs) you know so uh, i think this definitely was a game that kind of clearly delineated who's at the top and who's at the bottom i still believe in big blue long term but this is not the year clearly this is not the year Smoke and mirrors only goes so far. And Dable did an incredible job throughout the first half of this season with smoke and mirrors. With taking Daniel Jones, who was largely ready to be a cast off to the NFL heap, and creating an offense through him and Saquon Barkley and getting guys to believe. We've talked about that with a bunch of interim coaches and, and you know, some sort of mid-season infusion. He did it from training camp on and said, this is the group we're running with and we are going to win. And they did. And that's amazing. I would say they have overachieved, but there is a point where the gas runs out. Mm -hmm. Late in the season, you don't have the horses. And they had a front row seat on Sunday to what true NFC power looks like. Unfortunately for them, it's to a hated division rival with the Eagles long-standing animosity between those two franchises and they could look across the other sideline and go we ain't that (laughs) like we got work to do again we believe in the folks at the top really liked what they did with their draft this year and again Dable is coaching his ass off one of the finest jobs in the NFL this season but he ain't going to be able to will it to happen down the stretch. They are going to run up against tougher opponents. They're going to win the games they should, which is pretty amazing considering where the Giants have been. That's a step up. They're going to even win a few of the games that they shouldn't. But when you get to a, uh uh-uh, they're not favored by two touchdown games, they're not going to find a way to overcome that. And that's 
pretty much what this matchup with the Eagles was. The Eagles are who we thought they are. They're amazing at every level. The Giants also kind of are who we thought they are. They've just been playing above that level most of the season. So we were like, well, they play everybody tough. That's what we said in the watch list. Like, yeah, the Eagles are really good, but the Giants have been really scrappy. Yeah, scrappy ended pretty much at the end of the first quarter <laughs> eagles got a turnover a little block punt oh not a turnover but turnover on downs with a little block punt punched it in basically three touchdown lead at that point and from from the rest of that i said yeah you can you can turn the channel on this one the eagles aren't going to give it up there were three different games that Vo- that fox had to turn the channel from early but the, the afternoon slate in particular was a mess <laughs> for for networks just trying to find one game that was competitive Thank God the Broncos made a little run to come back from the Chiefs because other than that, there was nothing to watch on TV. It was that bad in the afternoon. But, you know, unfortunately the Giants got rolled there. They do have another game against the Eagles week 18. Um, It might depend on if the Eagles are playing their starters or not, to be perfectly honest. Um, Play some rookies. Get some development time in because that one's not going to be great. The Giants don't have any chance of spoiling anything there. And that one is going to be a play out the string game. They do have a rematch against the commanders who they tied not last weekend, but the weekend before that they, so there's like a, a commanders Eagles commanders stretch that they're in the middle of right now. So they played against the commanders again this weekend um, to basically keep their playoff hopes alive. And then they have a game against the Vikings, which we just talked about all the Viking struggles. It's actually Possibly. a winnable, winnable game, yeah. not likely, but winnable. And then they got the Colts very winnable. Uh, and then the Eagles. So, again, playoffs are not out of the picture, but they really got to beat the Commanders and they really got to beat the Vikings. If they don't, if they don't win both of these two, like over the next two weeks, they're probably out. But either way, valiant effort. You know, still golf claps all around for Brian Dable. Did what he could for as long as he could. Still on the short list for Coach of the Year. Um, probably won't win it, but he's at least on the short list and should be mentioned. Uh, all right, now. Another coach of the year candidate that unfortunately his team has taken a, a pretty drastic step back. Ironically, a very similar situation where Mike Vrabel did what he could as long as he could with that Titans roster, which has been dealing with just crazy injuries the entire year. Like durability has been a massive concern there. And they were already, you know, one of those teams where it's like starting 22, we love it a lot. The second layer thins out real quick. They were they were hoping to get contributions from a lot of young guys really early. Some of them they actually have. Chigakonkwo has turned into a really nice weapon for them, but Kyle Phillips got hurt. A lot of people have got hurt. Um, you know, especially on defense, it's just been a, a just a, a constant train wreck of injuries for them. Unfortunately, you know, even Tannehill has not been spared from injury this year, and and so the Titans have really kind of fallen apart. And I think it's it kind of came to a head against the Jaguars where, you know, Jags got three first half turnovers. And even though the Jags themselves are not like a pinnacle of death, not death, depth, totally different word, Brett (laughs) Jaguars themselves are not a pinnacle of depth. (laughs) Oh my God. That is going into the NFL lexicon. This team is a pinnacle of death. Trevor Lawrence could be, you saw how he played. Eventually, eventually you bet. Side note, Trevor Lawrence, the last five games he's played like a top not even top 10 top eight quarterback in the league and that defense giving him three extra possessions to work with was was kind of all he really needed because the Jags defense is not good 
they're only passable when they can get turnovers. But if you give a guy like Lawrence extra possessions, the Titans with how thin and how banged up they are and how porous their offensive line is, they can't overcome turnovers like other AFC playoff contenders can. Like they are not built for that. They have to play a clean game. It's very similar to the Panthers situation we talked about. Like when they turn the ball over, they don't have the juice to to overcome that. And you know, the Jags punished them for it. They have a better quarterback. They have, well, Vrabel's an extremely good coach, but the Jags at least have good coaching now compared to past years. And when you have a good quarterback and a good coach, you can win a lot of games that maybe on paper a lot of people didn't think you had a chance in. And I'll tell you what, Jags aren't that far out of playoff contention, and the Titans, for one reason or another, they're kind of falling apart. It just hasn't been there for them this year. They haven't been able to stay healthy. Um, I would say that, you know, the offensive line has been a massive issue, and they could very well lose this division, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And I didn't think I was going to say this before the year, EJ. If the Jaguars make it to the playoffs over the Titans, I think the Jags have a better chance of advancing, which sounds insane, I know. But good coach and good quarterback will go a long way. I can't quite say the same thing for Tennessee. They have a great coach, amazing coach. Quarterback's on a different level, completely different level. And I I truly do have more belief in Jacksonville than Tennessee, which is not something that I expected to happen this year. Two weeks ago, this was impossible. Two weeks ago, we were singing the Titans' praises and saying they just keep finding a way to do it. And... You know, to go back on what we said about the Lions, the vibes were immaculate. Mm-hmm. Vrabel was still crushing it or finding a way to get it done. Yeah, they missed their number one wide receiving threat. But, you know, the Jags were scrappy, winning some games. Trevor was still playing well. Like you said, he keeps ascending. The rest of that team's got to come up around him if they're really going to make some noise. But two weeks ago, this was a different picture. To imagine this turn within the last two weeks – is pretty difficult to do. But I want to take you back to week seven versus the Texans, your good old favorite Texans. Titans-Texans or Jags-Texans? Titans-Texans. Okay. Since week seven versus the Texans, the Titans have scored 17, 17, 17, Mm -hmm. 27 versus the Packers, Mm -hmm. 16, 10, and 22. That's uh, that's Broncos territory <laughs> in terms of offensive output. A little better than Let's Ride Country, but not much. And it lends exactly to what you said about how they're built and what they must do to win games. That level of scoring in the current NFL is this much margin for error. Mm-hmm. One turnover, an extra couple of sacks, a couple of missed third downs that Derrick Henry doesn't get because the play call maybe isn't that creative. Like You play a very controlled, very thin margin game, but the Titans kept managing that thin margin. In the last couple of weeks, they've failed to manage that margin, and now <laughs> the Jags keep surging, the Titans are stumbling, the Titans can't score, and that doesn't bode well heading into the playoffs. And then you add in the John Robinson news, going back to the vibes. The vibes are not immaculate in that building. Something's going on. You don't fire your GM when you're in first place in your division after he's gotten you 
quite a few good players. Yes, you can look at his draft and free agency failures just like you can with every GM. You don't can him in the middle of the season. So all of a sudden, we've got a GM firing. We've got a little start of a mini losing streak here. We've got a divisional rival rising up. All of a sudden, things are a lot shakier than they were two weeks ago. People have talked about um, you know some kind of rift between Vrabel and Robinson, which I guess would be believable because, again, they fired in midseason, and, and GMs almost never get fired midseason. They're going to do that after the year like coaches might get fired gms very rarely do which i think gives a little bit of credence to something going on between rabel and robinson we don't know what it is i have zero connections to that story or building whatsoever so i could not even begin to speculate something was going on and i don't know it just feels like the season's kind of falling apart i think a lot of titans fans are even though they're in the lead for the division, I think a lot of Titans fans are looking forward to the draft because they're like, I don't give a shit. We need to look at offensive tackles. We need to look at offensive linemen, period, because a lot of them, even if they make it to January, they don't believe they're making it past the first weekend. So I, it's weird, man. It's weird <laughs> to see so many prospective playoff teams around the league. You look at Tennessee. Um, you know, you look at Minnesota. You look at Tampa. Seattle. Tampa, all these prospective playoff teams and all their fan bases are like, we suck. The world is ending. We're horrible. Fast forward to April. Like it's, I've not, I, I've not the seen anything like this. The replies of my mentions yesterday from Titans fans, because I, I put out a few tweets about the Titans and the Titans game, were, EJ, stop kicking me. I'm already dead. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, whoa, like, yeah. <laughs> you're still leading the division easy with that stuff. But I was surprised there was a sort of uniform thread through those replies that was like, easy, I'm already hurting enough. And I was like, okay. all I got was, you were right about Chigaconquo, but I'm dead inside anyway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's yep. There's a lot at. of that, too. And we were right about Kyle Phillips, but he just has to stay healthy. You'll see. Oh, I love Kyle Phillips. He's great. That's great. the thing is, I, I think assuming they improve the offensive line like 2023 titans i actually believe in a whole hell of a lot 2022 they're just it's, it's too many people in the hospital yeah man. short short term <laughs> woe not necessarily long term woe yeah this week's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. we're obviously in the middle of the holiday season right now which i know is usually busy for all of you just like it's busy for us but just because we're all really busy doesn't mean that we still don't want to cook really good food at home with fresh farm to table ingredients that are delivered right to our door which is where hellofresh comes in all of the produce in these meal kits were picked less than a week ago from when it enters your kitchen so it's as fresh as you can possibly get it and they're all pre-portioned for each recipe so there's no food waste plus on average it's cheaper than a grocery store trip as well Every HelloFresh meal I've ever had, which is dozens of recipes at this point over a three-year period, they've all been legitimately really, really good. We even keep all the recipe cards in our house so that we can remake the meals later whenever we feel like it. Just if we do happen to go to the grocery store, we'll know exactly what to buy. So we kind of treat it like a cookbook that we're building over time. So I guess from that standpoint, don't think of it as just a one-time thing for these meal kits because they can help you out and feed you pretty much forever. So if you want to try HelloFresh for yourself, for no other reason than it's just good food and good recipes, you can go to HelloFresh.com bootleg18 and use promo code bootleg18 for 18 free meals 
plus free shipping. Again, that is HelloFresh.com slash bootleg18, promo code bootleg18 for 18 free meals and free shipping. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, all right, let's get to something a little bit happier, uh, talking about one fun. One fun this week, EJ, uh, was the centerpiece game for this Sunday. Dolphins at Chargers on Sunday night. Uh, fun fact, the Chargers have seven primetime games this year because they keep getting flexed into Sunday nights. I don't think uh, any team has ever had that much primetime exposure, but I'll be damned. Justin Herbert deserves it. I think um, you know there are some analysts in the media, well, really one analyst in the media, that has constantly beat this drum that, well, clearly Tua is orders of magnitude ahead of Herbert. No. No, he's not. And I say this as somebody who loves Tua. I've talked positive about Tua. I've done multiple episodes on how good Tua is and how, like, what he does well and what I think about him. And I am not anti-Tua whatsoever. But I have always found it weird that part of the pro-Tua campaign by this individual was to repeatedly tear down Justin Herbert for things that, let's be honest, were not in Herbert's control. Because the roster around Herbert not the same as the one around two in Miami. And so I think it was it, it was really just kind of cathartic to see these two guys go up against each other um, with two very different rosters in terms of quality and overall doneness uh, and still have Herbert have like, for lack of a better word, the fuck you game, you know? And, and he wasn't directing it at two. It wasn't even directing at the Dolphins. He was directing it at that specific media member who consistently has trashed him over and over and over again, despite him playing, contextually speaking, phenomenal football this year. Um, and I, I just personally thought that was great to see. Again, I love Tua. I have, I have a lot of positive thing, things to say about Tua. Didn't have a great game. Didn't even have a good game last week either. He's had a couple of rough weeks, but on the whole, I'm still pro Tua. But the the attitude of you have to be anti-Herbert to be pro-Tua was just dumb. It was just dumb. And I love that Herbert came out and showed him, like, hey, all my receivers run 4-5 or slower. My offensive line can't pass protect for more than two seconds. My run game is super streaky. My defense is banged up. We're playing almost entirely backups in the secondary. And we beat you. That, I think, was big. It was massive for kind of establishing what Justin Herbert really is, which is an elite quarterback in the NFL. They barely ran the ball last night, EJ. They barely ran the ball. Yeah. It was screens. It was stick. It was curls. Everything that we hate Joe Lombardi for doing constantly. Because <laughs> they basically made Justin Herbert be the run game with his arm. And he did it. He did it, and they only gave him a couple opportunities to stretch the field, and he made that work too. But he was the offense, and he knocked off the Dolphins, and uh, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him to to kind of you know get that off his back because I think the I think the narrative was just unbelievably toxic for no reason. It was loud. It is a function of the media landscape. 
this idea that if you love one thing, you automatically hate another. This binary, black, white, one, zero, which one are you? If you're that one, you can't be this one mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. On this podcast, we are pro Tua. If you don't believe us, go back about three weeks. We spent a lot of time talking about how good Tua is. In fact, you can take the short version. Go to YouTube, look at the shorts. We made one specifically on Tua and said right now, and this was two, two and a half weeks ago, he is playing better than any quarterback in the NFL wholly. Since then, he's kind of fallen off a cliff. He has not had a good last two games, and the NFL is very much, what have you done for me lately? We are pro Tua here. We are also wildly pro Justin Herbert as a quarterback. And really, if you want to get into the nuance of this discussion and why ostensibly Justin Herbert is not as good as Tua, it has a lot to do with what you said in terms of roster construction. The Dolphins are a better, more fully finished roster product, whatever, than the Chargers are. If you look at Justin Herbert's play on the field last night, I didn't make it through the first quarter of this film without three plays that made me go, (laughs) are you kidding? Two of them were pocket movement. They weren't even throws. We talk about Herbert's arm all the time. He has a very good quarterback. He was dealing with that pressure because his line can't pass protect for more than two seconds. Adroitly, artistically, athletically, amazing stuff. Right, The fact that he even made a play, could make a play there, get get the ball off there against instant rush, fantastic. And then there was one of the Herbert throws in the first quarter that was just like, oh, <laughs> who Gives makes you butterflies. that throw? Yeah, who yeah. makes that throw? Nobody but Herbert. So I missed in my trap game of the week. I said last week that it might be Tom taking it to the 49ers in his homecoming to the Bay Area. Whoops. Yeah, no. Instead, Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, after a tough loss of their own to those very same 49ers, headed down to L.A., and they got beat by a Chargers team that's been a good, bad seesaw all year long. Very tough to figure out what they're going to be able to do on a given week because of injuries, because of Joe Lombardi, because of a lot of things. They have not put it down. They don't have a lot of statement games. But in this one, their offense was healthy, which is a huge thing, and it looked like they'd envisioned it when they put it together for one of the only times this season. Mike Williams, 6 for 116, 19.3 per with a touchdown. He looked like that dominant deep ball down the field receiver that he is when he's healthy and fully on the field. Keenan Allen doing his thing, 12 catches. He we have repeatedly said he is the glue in this offense and the go-to guy, third down, need a route, need an open. 92 yards, 7.7, no touchdowns, but again, so many catches on that Dolphins So many defense. screens, too. <laughs> like and how, some, how many times in like third and three where he's like, all right, Keenan, you get the ball, go do it by yourself. <laughs> like, do your thing. <laughs> and blocking. This is something that Keenan doesn't get a lot of credit for. Early in the game, he knocked a Dolphins DB on his ass, like second or third play on him, one of those outside screens, and just stood over him and barked. I won't be here all day. Like, this comes too. If I'm on the field, you're going to have to deal with this, whether or not I'm catching passes, which I'm going to do because he can talk. And Austin Eckler in the pass game, the run game, woefully deficient. Three-something yards of carry. Never really tried it. Never kept it going. They knew they weren't going to run against the Dolphins. Instead, Austin Eckler in the pass game, substituting for the run game, eight catches, 
60 yards, 7.4 per, only .3 less than Keenan Allen per catch. This is the big three of, I'll just say offensive threats. I didn't want to say running or passing. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, all in the field, all healthy. Six, 12, and eight receptions, 116, 92, and 59 yards. There were others. Justin Herbert moved off of these guys and found multiple other targets. Palmer had his. They had a few to their backup tight end. Like, this was the Justin Herbert masterclass of I'm athletic. I can play quarterback. I can make very quick reads. I have excellent throws. I will spread the ball around, and I will beat what is a superior team when nobody expects me to just because I'm going to elevate and go off. And that's the thing that I was happiest to see. For me, it's not about, never has been about, Herbert versus Tua. Mm -hmm. It's about, are they good quarterbacks in the spots they landed in? And Herbert is an amazing quarterback in the spot he landed in. Is the spot as good as what Tua's has become for the Dolphins? No. Tua is an amazing quarterback in the spot he's landed in, and the team's gotten a lot better around him. So, as a result, he's playing really good football. He is also dangerous in very different ways. But I don't think there's any way to look at Justin Herbert and say he is a, I'm not even going to say the phrase because I don't want to give it credence, he is not a good real quarterback. He is a really good real quarterback on the field doing quarterbacky things. He is amazing week to week. And if he had a similar cast that Tua does in Miami, I'd don't know that there would be a more favored team in the NFL right now. No, you give him Tyreek and you give him Waddle and Gasecki and Mike McDaniel, <laughs> not Joe Lombardi. Would they lose a game? I I don't even had, I don't know, man. <laughs> only if they had the Lions defense from the first half of the season, but Justin Herbert amazing in his own right, too extremely solid with the Dolphins and playing very very good football. It doesn't have to be one of the other folks. It was definitely Justin on this particular night. That's okay. Tua will have his nights, but please don't forget about Justin Herbert being amazing because every week you can go back at the tape and find three, four, seven plays that make you just sit back and go, what? No, yeah. not possible. Like, rewind. That window was this big does it every the, the, week the, the social media throws cough cough yeah. i wasn't saying it i was saying. avoiding saying there's it. a reason we post them on social media because they're crazy because <laughs> they're really freaking good yeah uh that is not the only plane he exists in on an nfl football field justin herbert is a force to be dealt with oh man I love watching him play. Uh, I don't know if the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. I think their percentage went up to like 80% with that win. If they lost, it would have been like 17 or 20%, yeah. something like that. <laughs> Toilet. So they, they needed that game, and they got that game. Still not 100% sure if they're going to make it, but they're in a decent spot too. And, man, if we can get if we can get another Chiefs-Chargers playoff game, or just a, a Chiefs-Chargers game in general, because <laughs> they're always any, crazy. Any. Any in January, Chiefs, oh, I would game. love it. I would love it so yeah. damn much. But uh, all right, EJ. Uh, with that all being said, because I don't want it to linger too much on just <laughs> Herbert worship, uh, why don't we get to uh, our favorite segment of the show, Bootleg Shout of the Week. 
this week on Bootleg Shot of the Week, uh, I, I went local. I got myself a, a, a really nice weeder, a wheat whiskey from Drift, which is a, a local craft distillery around me uh, in San Clemente, California. Well, I don't live in San Clemente. They're down in San Clemente. San Clemente is actually not close to me at all. But still, <laughs> Southern California. Um, it's a go. wonderful wheat whiskey. Um, they have their own family farm just west of Kansas City, if I recall correctly, over on the Kansas side. They, they have a whole farm where they just hundreds and hundreds of acres of wheat that they then turn into really damn good whiskey. So if you're in Southern California, stop by Drift. They make good stuff. Uh, what do you got for your shot this week? I love the bottle, too. That's amazing. Um, this week, there were a lot of hard shots in the NFL. And some weeks to go with that, you just need a hard shot. So I have Black Ridge, Kentucky Straight, bourbon whiskey, 90 proof. This is bourbon for people that don't mind bourbon. Um, hmm. it, it goes down uh, a little rough. This is this is uh, unmanicured bourbon. Uh, doesn't have that sweet finish or cask or a lot of sugar. This has like bourbon and then heat. <laughs> and if you're into that, and you know, I have it what's, over what's ice the all proof the time. on it? It's ninety, but it doesn't taste yeah. like it. It it sort of moonlights as like one hundred and five. Um, yeah. In terms of how it feels going down and, and Black Ridge again is when you just want to remind yourself that you are drinking bourbon and not some fancied up anything else. Black Ridge is right yeah. down the middle. And that's kind of how the hitting was this week in the NFL. So I think it's appropriate. I've had 120s that taste like 90 and I've had 90s that taste like 120s. So <laughs> I got you. Uh, this actually, this whistle pick down here. Um, it's a hundred and it, it tastes like an 80. So <laughs> yeah, you said that stuff tasted like syrup and I was like, Oh, oh that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. Uh, well this week's winner, probably no surprise to people that actually see the video version of this show and watched all the nominations and were genuinely concerned for Juwan Jennings safety. Uh, probably not a surprise, but quish, uh, not question. Question. That's why I don't drink on an empty stomach for an hour and a half podcast. Christian Wilkins planting him in the turf from behind at full speed which when you watch the l22 and you see him just long striding it out pumping 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 and then jennings kind of like stops on the sideline and wilkins slams into him from the back face first it was a brutal brutal hit obviously legal jennings didn't get hurt but probably sat in the cold tub for a little while after that one he's lucky he survived this was like getting rear-ended by a tractor trailer and a backup on the freeway like yeah. he stopped and a 300 pound guy at full speed hit him from behind not what a wide receiver expects is to have a defensive tackle land on top of him yeah it was a great hit uh and a legal hit and so for that christian wilkins we salute you Oh, wow, that is a wonderful shooting whiskey. Oh, I got to do that more. Damn. I got to do that about as often as I do it, which is not very. See, this is 90 as well. Yeah, but honestly, look at the color of that one versus the color of this one. Ah, it's showing up dark in mine. This is a very sort of almost light yellowish, and it, mm. it tells you in the bottle, like, hey, this is gonna I'm hurt. Gonna, I'm gonna come that way. So, uh, no, the drift looks gorgeous. I love the bottle of the cap, and oh, uh, so the good. color looks great. So this week we had no shortage of nominees at all. In None. fact, these are only about 
half of them. I'm not kidding. Yeah. We could have done 12 to 15. And so we, we tried really hard to narrow it down. Obviously, there's a lot more we could have done. I mean, the Milano one on Mike White, it was legal, but White got hurt. But Injury. that was... I get it. I get it. Oh, God. That, that might have been the hardest legal shot I have ever seen. I mean, he literally turned into, like, one of those wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man. Like, just, he got folded, straight up folded in midair. It was hellacious. Obviously not throwing it in because he got hurt, but holy shit, Matt Milano killed him. It was part two. Uh That's the problem is another nominee that we had in here but weeded out was Ed Oliver's hit on Mike White earlier in the same game. Legal, he didn't get hurt, but he likely probably cracked his rib against, I mean, didn't get hurt, meaning he didn't stay on the turf. He stayed, you know, stood back up and stayed in the game so that Oliver hit was legal. But basically kind of Oliver cracked the shell and Milano just broke it open and, you know, to his credit, Mike White came back. Again, I saw a tweet from somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was. They said, today I saw Ed Oliver kill a man. I saw that man get back up, and then I saw Matt Milano kill him again, and then he came back in the game. Like, Bro. he died twice. I, I mean, that's the kind of shit where I'm like, dude, does he have internal bleeding? Because, like, it looked like he got hit by a car yeah. at full speed. It was it was rough. So I, I just, I don't want to hear anybody ever question Mike White's toughness. Cause that was, I'm no, not can't. kidding. Like maybe the hardest legal hit I have ever seen in my life, but we have six other nominees that did not result in very clear, perhaps catastrophic injuries, starting off with uh, another hit from that same game. I mean, perennial nominee at this point, Quincy Williams. I feel like we can just pretty much tag him every single week of like, Oh, he's going to have one. Let's see which one it is again, nominated this week for, uh, for an absolute, just hellacious shot. Perfect form tackle. Again, he is the epitome of teach tape as a linebacker in terms of how you're supposed to hit super hard while also wrapping up. He might be the best tackler in the league at any position this year. Um, I, I would say that him dropping weight and, and, you know, really increasing his speed has helped a lot because now just, I mean, the dude's dense and now he just hits you even faster. So phenomenal tackler, Quincy Williams, Isaiah Pacheco on the other side of the ball. This was a second and 10 run at the very end of the game. KC was holding on by a thread because Denver just wouldn't die. Uh, and they needed one run from Pacheco to seal this thing and get out of there with a win, stealing one on the road against Denver. And he delivered a monster shot. Uh, I can't remember which DB it was that he ran over, but they were running like a, I think they were running tight zone and he hit the hole super hard. Safety came down, lowered his shoulder. Pacheco ran his ass over, took on uh, tackler number two, dragged him another three yards, carried them uh, to a first down, sealed the win. Uh, and I, I think that that run was the epitome of what Isaiah Pacheco is, which is a very tough downhill runner. Uh, nominee number three, we got Jalen Petrie. This was the Jalen Petrie game. He had like three monster shots, but you know the one against um, James Washington on a glance route where he came down from depth and Washington actually had it in his hands and Petrie just smashed him, knocked it loose. And then he had two more big hits 
and a PBU on that very same drive, but that first one was just monster shot. So we had to throw that one up there. Nominee number four, uh, this one was sent to both of us. I can't remember who sent it to us. Was it Dan uh, Casey? Look, uh, it was not Dan Casey, but um, yeah, Petra's game yesterday was, Petra's had moments all season, but I started watching that game for some reason, commercial break or whatever, right during that drive, and I see Petra open it up with a blast, and I'm like, holy crap, that's one of the best hits I've seen from him in the pros. He had a ton of them in college. Two plays later, the Washington hit. Uh, you know, three plays later, down by the goal line now, 10, 15-yard line, another just absolute smash. And at this point, he is in his bag. He's telling everybody, don't come here. I'm going to hurt you. And then he gets a PBU right at the goal line again, breaking forward that classic sort of Kyle Fuller sit, stop, stab, break. It was just like, okay, what can he not do? There's three absolute massacres on the same drive in a PBU. He really went off in a different way yesterday. Um, this one got sent to us by Brennan McNichol, uh, and it was Coach Dan Casey that posted the initial clip. Oh, gotcha. So thank you, Brennan, for sending that to us because I didn't see this real time. But uh, Trey Smith almost decapitated Justin Simmons on a screen pass to, to Jet McKinnon that ended up scoring. But uh, Trey kind of, you know, released as violently as Trey Smith does with that kind of like backwards swipe to get somebody to trip. And then he released out in space and Simmons was the unlucky man to take him on and just got straight up decleated by Trey Smith, which is a lineman's dream. Like, yeah, give me a hundred pound advantage on, on somebody in space and let me run over him. And he did. Uh, nominee number five, another Texans DB. Houston was flying around in this game. Almost stole one away from Dallas. And uh, these young DBs were a big reason why. Again, decleating Michael Gallup in the end zone to take away a touchdown catch. About as textbook a textbook hit as you can have coming from depth in the end zone to try to knock something out. Attacking the ball carrier's arm, you know, leading with your shoulder, try to pop it out. Completely upended him. Great play by Jonathan Owens. And then nominee number six. We don't do six nominees often, but we really had to this week. We mentioned that Jacksonville got a lot of first-half turnovers that kind of gave T-Law extra possessions to will them to victory. Shaq Quarterman from Jacksonville was one of those guys generating turnovers. Uh, Derrick Henry caught a ball in the flat, was kind of spinning off of the first tackler to get even more. In comes Shaq Quarterman. Just annihilates him on the sideline and Derrick Henry's taken a lot of abuse this year this game was no different completely plants him takes him off his feet forces a fumble while he's doing it which then gets recovered I think it was Josh Allen that recovered it but just a, an absolutely beautiful play to to generate a turnover at a big spot give his offense extra possessions EJ, we could have gone on another 10 minutes with more nominees. That was the kind of week it was. But these are the six we settled on. Again, if you want to vote on your favorite, that's in the pinned comment down below. Um, I truly don't know who's going to win. It's on you guys. Uh, I'm going to leave this up to you because ooh, it's tough. We, we cut out three hits where guys got literally cartwheeled, where their, yeah. where their legs went over their head. And honorary shout out because uh, this made me look up who it was. And I, I love bringing all of you new names. Pay attention. Cater Kohu, Nickelback for the Dolphins, Texas mm -hmm. A&M Commerce, which is probably why you haven't heard his name. UDFA, not a I huge, think, right? 
Yeah. yeah. Not a huge school. He went off yesterday for the whole game. It wasn't just one hit. He played exceptionally well in prime time versus the Chargers. Cater Kohu, he will make this list eventually. He almost made it this week. Yeah, it was just a it was a phenomenal week of football. And I think that, you know, as playoff races are tightening and everybody's playing with a lot of intensity because it's, it's a lot of do or die moments every single game now, uh, we've started to see kind of an uptick in crazy ass hits, which, you know, makes our job a lot more fun. So we'll see what Quincy Williams does next week <laughs> for shot of the week. We'll leave the voting to you guys. Um, last segment before we get out of here. The week 15, God, we're already here. Week 15, watch list. EJ, take it away. So Dolphins-Bills has got to lead this one off. Big implications for the AFC East. Both teams in different spots very much so than they were a month ago. Everybody was looking at this rematch and saying, what's going to happen when they go back to Buffalo? This week we get to find out. Lions-Jets. Talked a lot about the Lions at the top of this podcast. Talked a little bit about the Jets. This is a very interesting matchup that if you, again, penciled it at the beginning of the year and said Lions-Jets is a game I want to see in week 15, a lot of people would have said, nah, I don't think so. People said I was crazy before the season saying I wanted to go to this game, and unfortunately I couldn't because I have some other obligations I wanted to attend to. But, like, back in August, I put this on my list saying that this is the one I wanted to go to because I had a good feeling about it. Who's crazy now? Not you, because this is probably a pretty darn good ticket. Cowboys-Jaguars. Cowboys the more established team here, but the Jaguars team on a rise. We've talked about Trevor's ascendance over the past three to four weeks, especially this isn't uh, – odds makers are probably going to set this one fairly close, a lot closer than they would have at the beginning of the season, let's put it that way. And Giants-Commanders just loving all the late-season interdivision, intra-divisional action – we had a ton of it yesterday, it, you know, bunch in the NFC North, the entire AFC North played each other yesterday. This is good, compelling football in December. Giants commanders, although they might not be two of the best teams in the league, it's going to be a slugfest and they are, you know, trying to keep playoff hopes alive in New York. We'll see what happens. And the fascinated by game this week is Falcon Saints, because no matter what this game always finds a way to be a game one team can be better one team can be worse you can just throw the odds out this always ends up being a bit of a fracas and something interesting is going to happen in this game so keep it on your watch list man <laughs> this season's been so so upside down compared to what a lot of people thought we were getting in august i mean just w- taking one look at the christmas schedule where we've got like the Bucks and the Cardinals and the Packers and the Rams and the Broncos all on Christmas Day. And nobody wants to watch any of those teams. We want to watch <laughs> Jacksonville and Detroit and the Jets on Christmas weekend. Gotta love the NFL. Best reality show in the history of humanity, Ever. in my opinion. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, all right. Plugs for this week on Film Room. Originally, I hinted at it last week. I was going to do an episode on Cover 5. And then I watched the Vikings this week and decided that I need to talk about why they are so hopelessly horrible. So I'm putting cover five on the back burner for, for a little bit. I'm going to talk Vikings this week and not necessarily on cover five. They play more quarter, quarter, half, but you know, some of the reasons why they suck. And if I reverse curse them, I'm sure Vikings fans won't mind. What do you got coming up bears over beers? 
I don't I don't think I have any reverse curses. We took a week off for the bye week. We're back talking about young players. I think I'm going to look into some of the young players in the secondary who are getting a run. Who's going to be on this team next year and sort of make a difference matter? We've focused quite a bit on the offense so far this year, just a couple of times on defense. I think we're going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, see about some of those young defensive backs that's, that are getting a little bit of run with some of the injuries in the Bears secondary. And are they really going to stick around, or is it another place they need to add a lot more depth? Well, fun week coming on uh, Film Room and Bears Over Beers and our Thursday night stream. Again, we'll have that whiteboard that you see behind me back up breaking down all the uh, the little schematic things that Seattle and the 49ers are, are likely to do to each other. Um, doing heavy research on that game all day today, basically. So as soon as I stop this, I'm going to go back to working on that. Remember to stop by on Thursday for that stream. We go live half hour before kickoff, and we go straight through to the end of the game. Uh, should be a really, really, really good football game to break down. Um, thank you to all of our executive producers, Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, and Mike. We appreciate all of you. Thank you for everything that you've done for us and supporting the show. Uh, if you guys also want to support us on Patreon, that link is obviously in the link in the description below, especially if you want to join the executive producer tier. We appreciate any support you give us. And uh, with that, we will see you on Thursday night. Later. Take care. Take care.